Welcome to the Pathinator Travel Lounge Podcast, where we explore and help our world and ourselves. Have you ever had a problem and thought you were all alone? You're not. People throughout the world have similar problems. Our host, Joseph Cook, has traveled to over 150 countries. He's been whipped and robbed one day, followed by witnessing unbelievable acts of kindness the next. Through travel experiences, we'll show you that the solutions to issues we face as individuals can also solve issues that the world faces. Here's your PTL podcast and host, Joseph. Today's episode is called Quite an Adventure, and it looks at life in West Africa. Life in West Africa based off my three-month trip through West Africa. And early in this three-month trip, I was eating fufu at a locally owned restaurant with ample outdoor seating. I was people watching, which is my favorite activity while traveling. Watching the people pass in the street for a few minutes, I turned my head and noticed the only other person in the restaurant. He was all also eating fufu. And in West Africa, it's all about the fufu. We'll talk about fufu in the future. Uh, but it's, it's kind of the staple food there. He must have felt my eyes on him because his head slowly rose from his dish. He looked at me and decided to start a conversation. He was a large, powerful man from The Gambia, much like The Ohio State, it is The Gambia, which was accentuated by his muscle shirt he was wearing, his dark wraparound sunglasses, which made it impossible to see his eyes, and a shaved head. However, despite being physically intimidating, he was welcoming a strong laugh helped qualm my initial reservations. He asked me a series of questions. Boss man, where are you from? What do you do for a living? What organization are you with? Where are you going? Boss man, Le Blanc, or the white in French, chef, like chief, and Johnny, apparently a lot of white guys are named Johnny, are typical names given by black Africans to white foreigners in Africa. I told him, I'm from the US, I'm a teacher, but not with an organization. I'm traveling independently. I then laid out my itinerary. I'll start in Senegal, then the Gambia, followed by Guinea-Bissau, Guinea-Conakry, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Cote d'Ivoire, Togo, Benin, and Nigeria, then up to Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso, and Mauritania, before looping back to Senegal. Astonished but skeptical, he leaned forward and took off his sunglasses, which revealed a pair of intense, determined eyes, which were met by a set of more intense, determined eyes. He then leaned back and laughed. Boss man, you are in for quite an adventure. He was right, but I knew that before I arrived in West Africa. I knew it would be quite an adventure. In some ways, traveling to Africa is easy. Hungry? Just walk down nearly any road and buy food for sale placed by women or children on their heads. No need to look for a restaurant. Need to go to the bathroom? Just go anywhere. If you can find a tree to go behind, that's, that's a bonus. No need to pay 50 cents for a public restroom. Incidentally, this has traditionally been one of my greatest traveling pet peeves. Paying to do something that is natural seems unnatural to me. Visa problem? Just bribe the government official. No need for all that paperwork and pesky government regulations. However, all this can create adverse reactions, leading to conditions and experiences that are demanding which can, sit, which can shake even a seasoned traveler. It was surreal being in Africa and then returning to the U.S. and getting ready to teach a day later. After seeing what I saw, I knew the first student that whined about having to take a test or told me they were starving gets a detention. The Gambian man was fascinated by the type of trip I was about to partake. He knew I would be in for an adventure, so he began to imagine what the adventure might look like. 
and how I would react and interpret life in Africa. When he asked, boss man, where are you from? What do you do? What organization are you with? Where are you going? He was not making small talk. He wanted those set of questions to the base of a conversation. He then asked me, you are a teacher, yes? What do you teach? I responded, AP government and world history. Do you teach about Africa in the world history class? Yes, of course. Do you just teach about lines, aids, and slavery? I laughed and told him, well, some teachers do that. And all the textbook we usually, we, we use basically just mentions those topics. Having traveled through Africa, I knew there's, there's much more to Africa than just lines, aids, and slavery. He thought for a second and seemed satisfied with the response, but left the impression that he would like to return to the line of questions later in the interrogation. He then proceeded to further grill me on the next question from the set of questions that he initially asked, what organization are you with? He was pleasantly surprised with my response of traveling independently and not being with an organization. However, he wanted to know, why are you traveling independently? I gave a long explanation, which can be summarized as, follow, as, as the following. Traveling independently was a true, authentic experience. He liked the response largely because I'd never mentioned the safety issue. We are not savages, boss man. And he agreed it was more authentic. He stopped for a few seconds to analyze me and my responses. Satisfied with my nature, my responses, and my past experience, he seemed to feel that I knew enough about Africa to, com to comprehend his viewpoints. Thus, he decided to move the conversation to a more challenging direction. You know, all these organizations that are supposed to help us don't. The UN just drives around in their SUVs burning all our petrol. The big charities, big NGOs, and your big universities are useless. If they can keep us poor, they can keep getting richer. It's to their advantage to keep us poor. They will get more donations and their salaries will go up. They make us look too poor and too dumb to help ourselves. It's insulting. Your big businesses make some building for us, but then that is just for their advertisements. They don't really care if it helps us. He took his sunglasses off again, and now when ours met, his were the ones that were more intense. His voice began to get louder and quicken. You know, you came over here once before and tried to help us, and it didn't really work out too well for us. At this point, we were looking at each other, thinking about the next twist to our conversation. I knew what I wanted to say, but I also knew after his speech, I would not be speaking first. His tense face began to moderate and expand, eventually morphing into a courtesy smile. We're smart enough and work hard enough to do it ourselves. We need money for jobs and investments, but we can do it. We need our government to stop being so corrupt and let us do it. We do not need the UN and NGOs who want to keep us poor, universities who know nothing, and big businesses fake charity to help us. We could do it ourselves. He implied that these big organizations were engaging in a type of neocolonialism. It was a provocative allegation supported by compelling evidence that I was just beginning to process. Sensing this and wanting my raw, instinctual feelings rather than a safe, rationalized response, he quickly tested me. What do you think, boss man? With a wry smile as he continued to test the teacher. Starting off slowly, which must have been disappointingly rationalized for him. In my experience traveling in Africa, I have found that to be true. Then beginning to let go of my inhibitions, Africans could do it themselves. A solution to a problem in an area has to make sense to the local population and it would be best if the people in that area would solve the problem. 
I then pulled back and retreated to safety by ending my retort. I had not quite indicted the UN or the NGOs as neocolonialists as I needed more time to think about the statement, but my local solutions to local problems seemed to pacify him as he moved on to the next line of questions in his investigation. What were my past experience in Africa, and what do you hope to see on this trip through West Africa? It was another long, rambling retort, but basically I wanted to test his theory about neocolonialism, what Africa needs to succeed, and who is responsible for this success. There weren't many landmarks or museums to see on this journey, so I wanted to see how Africans interacted with each other and with me. I wanted to see how they ate, how they slept, how they got from place to place, and I wanted to see it as authentically as possible. That meant no tours, no African safaris, and no organizations with a preconceived agenda. Rather, local transport with my backpack being my travel partner, interacting with the real Africans. That meant no eating at chain restaurants, rather eating the just slaughtered goat with the real Africans. That meant not staying at the upscale tourist hotels where the local staff are paid to cater to Westerners. Rather, it was staying at the flea-infested, bucket-shower-only hotels where the real Africans are attempting to get some sleep as well. Much like people that have been to the resort areas of Cancun claiming to have gone to and thus know Mexico, people that are, have gone on safari or some organized trip through groups such as charity or NGO claiming to have gone to and thus know Africa is troublesome. This is then the perspective of Pathinator Travel Lounge. It's a look at, yes, Africa through an independent traveler, but it's a look at life throughout the world. It is a genuine look. And in this case, we're talking about the African tradition of storytelling. But again, as I said, it's not limited to just Africa. Although some of these stories and travel experiences discuss lines, AIDS, and slavery, it recognizes and accentuates real life in Africa and, and not just Africa, the whole world, that are often omitted through, from textbooks or organizations with agendas. Through this independent look and experiences, the positive and negatives of life in, again, not just Africa, but the rest of the world and in our lives can be explored. And it can enable then different theories, such as my Gambian's friend on how to improve our lives in Africa, yeah, but also throughout the world. So we've been mentioning West Africa, but I'd like to move into East Africa. I took a journalism internship in East Africa. I was largely based in Uganda, but uh, I went to some other places as well in that area. And one place was South Sudan. This is one of our most recent countries as it's split from Sudan. But there's some bad things happening in South Sudan. So I did fly into Juba for the weekend from Uganda. And by th bad things, I'm talking about military's role. I'm talking about gang rapes. So I'm, I'm not talking about little things. I'm talking about bad, bad things. And because of that, you're required then to get a, a permit, a permit to take photographs. I flew in late on Friday, fairly late on Friday, and the government office to get that permit was closed and it didn't open until Monday. So, uh, and I knew that actually I had to do this. It was, it, there wasn't a situation where like, well, I, I can say I didn't know. I did know, but I did not get the permit. And knowing there might be troubles, I left, I had two cameras, one good camera, and one just a point and shoot. Also, instead of bringing my passport, I just brought the copy of my passport. I bought, you know, small amounts of money because so I, I knew there could be some pro uh, problems in Juba. The first night, Friday night, I just got something to eat, got money, and, you know, just walked around a little bit. But Saturday, I went out exploring a little bit more. And I was on the edge of town, and I took a picture. And again, I don't even know why I took this picture. But I took the picture, took a quick snap. And it was, again, just this, this building 
nondescript building and the rocks around it. There's really nothing. And after I took this picture, I had people coming up to me. And again, this is kind of plain clothes. You see a lot of people, I'm dressed up like a mask clothes, like dress shirt, dress pants. Uh, you see this quite a bit in Africa. So it just seemed like a person then that was a regular person. And they said, hey, come back here. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to come back here. I, I'm going to go. And again, there's a lot of times people coming up to you and I just, I, you just kind of ignore, or at least at this point I ignored them because it does happen a lot where you have people coming up to you. He said, no, 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 come back here. Like, no, I'm leaving. And he grabbed my arm and I flailed it. And when he flailed, when I flailed my arm, he tackled me and his friend tackled me. And then they had me on the ground and they bound me. And I, again, I can't remember exactly what they're saying, but I was bound. So I know there's a problem. And I, I don't know if they're undercover police or undercover what they were exactly, but they saw me take the picture. And just as that, well, a little bit before that, uh, another person was going to join them. They're, again, they're kind of talking to me a little bit and, and, and kind of going back and forth. And uh, before anything else happened, they did pull out, one of them had a, a belt, and not a leather belt, a more thicker one, and it whipped me about four or five times. And he said something to the regards, you had enough. And I said, that actually didn't hurt at the time because adrenaline said, that didn't even hurt. And he reared back like he's going to hit me, and he didn't. So I knew there were some limits on what that person could do, which is good. And uh, we're kind of staring at each other, kind of a stare down. And, and what happened next is a, a guy in uh, army fatigues came out of a tent with a gun and came over here. And again, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I'm laying on the ground bound on my knees and he had a gun to my head. And at this point he said, I know what he said. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot you. And I said, no, you're not. And that's where we'll leave this conversation. We'll see where we we'll get to the next time. So the problem then is what we call big man syndrome. Again, we're talking largely about Africa. This is all over the place. But big man syndrome is basically I'm in charge, even though I'm completely incompetent, and you must follow what I say. And it creates a lot of problems. This this instance obviously is one right here, but it doesn't have to be just when a soldier has your a gun to your head. It could be a, a, an ex-teacher you had, an ex-boss you had. It could be even family and friends. Uh, and this idea of big man syndrome that you're locked in. So what happens in this situation when I have the gun to my head? You'll have to see next podcast. Thank you for listening to our PTL podcast. Visit us at www.pathinator.com for more travel information, self-help material, service ideas, and to donate. The skills that make us successful travelers make us successful in life and vice versa. This PTL podcast and Pathinator website can help you learn these skills. Catch you on the flip side.